Good morning. Good morning and thank you. Lovely, lovely music today and a lovely prayer. We're just going to jump right into things. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> In 2010, two Harvard psychologists put together an app to conduct research on people's thoughts and feelings and actions as they went about their lives. Along the way, they discovered something. They discovered that people spend 46.9%, that's almost 50, almost 50% 50 of their waking hours thinking about something other than what they're doing. And this mind wandering typically makes them unhappy. Here's what they wrote. A human mind is a wandering mind, and a wandering mind is an, an unhappy mind. The ability to think about what is not happening is a cognitive achievement that comes at an emotional cost. The article went on to explain that unlike other animals, humans spend a lot of time thinking about what isn't going on around them. Contemplating events that happened in the past, might happen in the future, or may never happen at all. Indeed, mind-wandering appears to be the human brain's default mode of operation. Okay, so you've got Harvard psychologists, and they're telling us that our brain's default mode, that's, the, that's what our brains naturally tend to do, and they're saying that it wonders. And according to tradition, if it's lining up with tradition, that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. Now, I doubt very much if you needed Harvard psychologists to tell you that you have a mind and in its natural state, it is prone to wonder. I also doubt that you needed a Harvard psychologist to tell you that your wandering mind often leads to unhappiness. I mentioned during our first week that we are living in the age of anxiety. In fact, the Academy of the American Academy Physicians reports that at least two-thirds of all patients who occupy hospital beds are there because of stress-related illnesses. One writer pointed out that three of the best-selling drugs in America are tagament for ulcers, Enderol for hypertension, and Valium, a tranquilizer. The three best-selling drugs in America, and they're all related to anxiety and stress-related illnesses. It seems we Americans, we have minds that are prone to wonder, we have minds that are prone to worry. The last two lessons, we talked about the importance of making God a priority. That led us to talking about a discussion of the basics of a quiet time, that disciplined time where you set aside time to meet with God and sit at the feet of Jesus and be alone with him. Now, so far, we've focused on the discipline of Bible intake. We have primarily spent the time talking about hearing and reading the word of God. This morning, we want to expound on that. We want to talk about the other um, subcategories of Bible intake. So here's, because of that, we're going to do something a little different. I have put a lot of pages on your table. <laughs> okay. This morning, part of 
Bible study, one of the intakes that you've been reading about is Bible study. And so I thought it would be a good time to practice some of that. There are methods and skills that you can use that'll help you with your Bible study. And so we're gonna talk about some of those today. So what I did was I printed off the passage we're going to be studying. It is Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine. So if you wanna find the paper uh, that looks like that, and what I thought we would do is we're going to read through it. And part of Bible study, good Bible study, is learning to pay attention to repetition, to repeated words and to repeated phrases. And, and a good way to do that is to mark them as you go along. So that's what I thought we would try to do as we read through this. So there's a lot of repetition in this passage. It's a good one to try that with. All right, now here's what we're going to do. As I read... Um, I want you to underline the phrase, be strong and courageous. We're going to underline that. I want you to put a box around the word success. And then I want you to circle all references to the law. And, and by all references, I mean the word law and any pronouns that are used to describe it. We're going to circle that. The law in this case is another word for the word of God. All right, so we're going to be underlining, be strong and courageous, putting a box around success, and then circling all references to the law. Okay, and just a little heads up. Listen, this is just for your own use, okay? Nobody's going to check your paper, anything like that. So if you just want to mark everything the same, that's cool too. The, the, the idea here is I want you to see the repetition as we read. Okay, here we go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right, last lesson. I read you a quote from the Center for Bible Engagement. It went like this. For Christ followers, regularly hearing from God through his word is the single most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. In other words, they found that believers that were regularly engaging with God through his word, that was the best predictor of spiritual growth. 
or shall we say today, spiritual success. What I want you to notice this morning is the passage that you just read is essentially saying the same thing. All right? God is telling Joshua, he's telling Joshua that if he is to be successful, he is going to make God's word a priority. He is to know it, he is to obey it, and then he would know success and prosperity. All right, now that raises a very good question. What does he mean by success? What is God talking about when he uses the term success and prosperity? Is he saying to us that if we read God's word and we obey his, God's word, that we will have money and that we won't have problems and that we will have our best life now? Okay, no, that would be a very man-centered view of success, a, a man-centered definition for success. In the context, when God is talking about prosperity here for Joshua, it would be that Joshua is going to accomplish all that he has been called to do, that he is going to get to enjoy everything that God had already promised him. All right, that's success. Now, sometimes a part of Bible study, when you want to understand something, it's a good idea to look at its opposite. Okay, so I want to do that. And um, we're going to use the, the second passage on your paper. This should probably look familiar because we studied it last week or parts of it last, or last time. It is from the passage of Haggai chapter 1. Verse, uh, I'm going to start with verse 2 and read through it. Now, as I'm reading this, I want you to watch for how it compares to success. Okay, here we go. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You're, you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Okay, hopefully you'll remember this from the last session. It's useful today because it gives us a great picture of the opposite of success. Okay, now I want you to notice in Haggai, these folks, they're working, they're keeping busy, but they're not accomplishing anything. They're not advancing. They're doing stuff, but it has no eternal value. It's like they're putting stuff in a bag with holes. Okay, God isn't blessing them. It says he blows on it. He's blowing on it. Verse six, it says they clothe themselves, but they're not warm. They're living in luxurious paneled houses, but they are discontent and they are unsatisfied and they're worried and they're anxious and they're unfruitful. Okay, that's the opposite of success, all right? Now, if you remember what God told them to do, look in verse five of the Haggai passage. He told them, consider your ways. 
He said, make the connection. He said, I want you to make the connection between the disorder in your lives and the disorder in your hearts and return to me. All right, now, why I wanted you to see these two passages side by side is because they're teaching the same thing. In Haggai, we're being told to make God a priority. In the book of Joshua, we're being told to make his word a priority. All right, turn with me to Psalm chapter 138. Psalm chapter 138, verse two, it says this. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your, what's it say? Your word. Yeah, your word. God is putting his word and his name in the same sentence in the same category. All right, now here's our first, first point for your handout. That's an, another page that you'll have on your paper. Okay, another page that you'll have on your table. Um, okay, number one, here's the first point. The name of God and the word of God are exalted above all things. Now this is review. But if God is to be a priority in our lives, if his name is to be a priority in our lives, then his word will be a priority in our lives. All right, that's the first thing. But not only that, the Joshua passage is showing us that when we make God's word a priority, it's for our good. Okay, it's for our success. So that's our second point. Number two, knowing and obeying God's word is for our benefit. And we want to keep that in mind as we're working through this. Now, I had you underline the phrase, be strong and courageous. Hopefully you have that underlined three times. Because three times Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. Now that's probably because Joshua is not feeling strong and courageous. But he's probably feeling very worried and anxious. All right. Now, God tells Joshua, do not tremble or be dismayed. Commentators suggest that that is inferring that Joshua is afraid. In other words, God tells him, do not be afraid, do not tremble, do not be dismayed, because he is afraid and dismayed and trembling. Okay, the logic here is that you usually don't tell somebody, do not be afraid unless they're afraid. Okay, so that's where they're thinking. Now, if he's afraid, it would be very understandable. Okay, he's just taken over for Moses. He's trying to fill in some very big shoes. He uh, doesn't know how the people are going to respond. He is to take the whole nation into the promised land. That's something new. It's never been done before. He would have overwhelming responsibilities, not to mention the fact that he is completely surrounded by nations that want to destroy him and, and put the end to them. If anyone had reason to be on anxiety or stress-related medication, it would have been Joshua. Now watch what God does. First of all, he speaks to Joshua and then he comforts him. He says in verse five, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. He's assuring Joshua of his presence. Okay, and then he goes on to explain that Joshua needs to make his word a priority. He says, do not turn from it to the right 
or to the left. He said, do not let it depart from your lips. In other words, let it be a constant part of your conversation. Let it be something that you are continually speaking about. And then he says, make my word a priority and not just for 10 minutes in the morning when you read. He said, I want you to meditate on my law night and day. I want you to be chewing on it and wrestling with it. I want you to be thinking on it continually. Now, why is that? Why is that so important? Well, there's a number of things that I think the passage shows us, and I, I want to go over those quickly. And this is next on your paper, number three. Meditating continually on God's word will impact, and this is A, your actions and behavior. Actions and behavior. Now, I want you to look at verse eight in Joshua. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Joshua is to be continually thinking on the law so that it will affect his actions and behavior. Okay, God is saying, okay, listen, I want you to be constantly filling your mind with my law and walking in step with me. And when you go to turn to the right or to the left, my word is going to correct you. Okay, uh, Paul tells us in the book of Timothy that God's word is profitable for correction. All right, all right, here's the next thing, B, and this is very similar. Meditating on God's word is going to impact the way, it, B, is your choices and decisions. Okay, it impacts the way you choose and the way that you decide. All right, now I want you to look at the end of verse eight. And as I read this, I want you to mark the word you, all right? It says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Who's the you in this verse? Who's you? Somebody tell me. Joshua, yeah, yeah. This, is, this isn't God saying, I will make your way prosperous. Okay, this is, he's saying, you meditate on my word, and it says, then you will make your way prosperous. Listen, you want to know how to make good decisions? You want to be able to go through life and know which way to go and where to turn? You have a difficult situation that you're working through. Maybe you have a, a, a difficult child that you're wanting to deal with. You want to know how to decide and what to do? God says, fill your mind with my word. Fill your mind with my thoughts and my ways, and then you will make your way prosperous. You'll be effective. You'll accomplish much. All right, here's the next thing. C, meditating on God's word will affect our thoughts and emotions. Okay, remember we said that Joshua was likely, fearing, was likely feeling fearful and anxious, and God tells him, be strong and courageous. He tells him, you're not to spend your time thinking about your enemies. You're not to spend your time thinking about the scary nations that are around you and all the things that could go wrong or all the sad things that could happen. No, no, no. You are to meditate on me. I am in your presence. I want you thinking about me. So when you lie down at night, that's what you think about. And when you get up in the morning, that's what you think about. And as you go about your day, you are to meditate on my law. Now, why is that? Because you have minds that are prone to wonder. 
because you have minds that are prone to worry. And your comfort and your power and your strength and your courage, they are found with me. Listen, meditating on God's word is for your good. It's for our good. All right. If you did the homework, the author used this chapter to get very practical on two of the, um, two of the disciplines in particular, that of Bible memory and that of meditation. And so I want to spend the rest of our time talking about some of that now. And let's start with memorizing. Why should we memorize? Why isn't reading enough? Well, before we answer that, I should probably point out that the devil memorizes scripture, okay? Unbelievers know scripture. They rattle it off at their convenience. Little children that aren't yet saved learn to memorize scripture as they should. But obviously, when we are talking about memorizing, we mean more than just being able to recite it. All right. I want to give you a quote from John Piper. It's actually on your paper. And he gave it in a sermon that he has on the importance of memorizing God's word. He likens memorizing to having Jesus's word abide in our hearts. Okay, here's what he writes. The abiding of Jesus' words in us means that the words of Jesus take root and bear the fruit of faith and holiness. Okay, that would be the goal of memorizing. Okay, so it's not just being able to rattle off the verses. So when we talk about memorizing, we're really talking about the, learning the passage to the point where it gets to get deep and down in and take root and abide in our hearts and do its work. All right, so with that definition, why then should we practice scripture, committing scripture to memory? Well, there's a couple reasons. Okay, first of all, God has told us to meditate on his word night and day. And, you, and if you are to continually be meditating on his word, you won't always have a Bible. Okay? And you can't always have your nose in a book. Right? So that's one of the main reasons that uh, we want to learn to memorize. Number four on your paper. Memorizing God's word helps us to be able to meditate and think and dwell on God's word. Okay, in other words, memorizing is going to be a means to help us to be faithful to the kind of meditating that's going on in the book of Joshua. Okay, now here's another reason that memorizing and, med and meditating on scripture is so important. It is the primary way that God speaks to us in his word. Now, you might be thinking, we already know that. We talked about that last time. We said that's the reason that we should get up and have a quiet time every morning so that we can hear God speak to us. Okay, that's true. But as you go about your day, the primary way that God speaks to you does not change. A, a, um, a professor from Liberty used to say, God speaks Bible. It may be a verse that comes to your mind as you're disciplining a child. It may be a phrase that comes to mind. It may be an action that you remember somebody doing in the Bible. It might be a theme or a truth that you learned from studying through a passage. But God's primary way of speaking to us is his word. All right, now here's what, um, we're gonna make this point again. Number five on your paper. God can guide us in many ways, but today the son speaks to us through his spirit in the Bible. Okay, the Spirit of God comes alongside the Word of God. 
All right, now am I saying that God cannot speak to us by uh, visions or angels or the stirring of the leaves or the quietness of the night? Okay, listen, God can do anything. God could make a donkey talk to you if he wanted to speak to you in that way. But here's the thing, we're not to, we're not to wait around hoping for that to happen. Okay, God has given us his son, God has given us his word, God has given us his spirit. Okay, we have the revealed word of God, that's what your Bible is. So we do not need angels or donkeys to talk to us, we have the word of God. All right, I want you to listen to how the author explains this. He writes, Imagine yourself in the midst of a decision and needing guidance or struggling with a difficult temptation and needing victory. The Holy Spirit enters your mental arsenal and looks around for available weapons, but all he finds is a John 3:16 or a Genesis 1:1 or the Great Commission. Those are great swords, but they're not made for every battle. How do you go about filling our personal spiritual arsenal with a supply of swords for the Holy Spirit to use? We memorize. Memorizing, meditating, those are great ways to help us to be able to do that. Now, remember we said our minds are prone to worry. Our minds are prone to wonder. So that means, that's why memorizing scripture is a discipline. It's going to be work. All right. Now, uh, the good news is that if you're a Christian, you have been equipped for this because the spirit of God lives in you. And you know what? That spirit of God loves the word of God. Okay. So the spirit of God is willing. The spirit of God is there to help you to do this. It will require some effort on your part. And uh, we want to talk about that. The homework had some good practical uh, suggestions for memorizing scripture. The first one on your paper, number six, memorizing God's word, A, be intentional, have a plan. Okay, people that have been disciplined in scripture memory, um, they have this in common. They're intentional, they have a plan. You are not accidentally going to be disciplined in memorizing scripture. Okay, now I always tell people the fighter verse app by desiring God will be the best $3 you ever spend. It's wonderful. It gives you the verses to, to study. It gives you little quizzes and ways to help remember it. Um, it's very useful. Others will say, uh, you know, write them out on a note card. Pick out verses for things that you're going through right now. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're, um, you have some temptations that you're trying to battle. Learn those and memorize those. The point is you want to uh, set goals. You want to be intentional. Have a plan. Okay, here's another uh, common suggestion. And B, enlist accountability. Enlist accountability. Ask someone to hold you accountable. Maybe it's someone that, will, um, that you can recite your verses to each week, much like they do at Awana. So, all right, now that's memorization. Now I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the spiritual discipline of meditating. Now, the author is very big on this. He writes about the discouragement that he observes among Christians when it comes to their quiet time because they complain they either don't get much out of it or they can't remember it a few, um, you know, an hour after they read. He suggests that if you're a believer with the Spirit of God living in you, it might be your method. Okay, he's convinced, he, was, he writes this, 
The number one thing lacking from believers as they attempt to know the word of God is biblical meditation. He says, he's very passionate about this. He claims we're frustrated with our reading and our praying prayer time because we're not meditating on scripture. Okay, so let's talk about that. I wanna start with his definition. I have uh, it written on your paper. He writes that meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture or upon life from a scriptural perspective for the purpose of understanding application and prayer. Okay, that's how the author defines it. Here's what it's not. Here's the opposite. It's not a cessation of the thought process. Okay, it's not closing your eyes, emptying your mind, trying to achieve inner peace, okay? That would be meditation according to your yoga instructor, okay? Biblical meditation is going to have you filling your mind with God and God's word. Unbiblical, unbiblical meditation is going to tell you to empty your mind and quit thinking, all right? And here's our next point, number seven. Biblical meditation requires constructive mental activity in contrast to unbiblical meditation, which promotes emptying the mind. And we want to be clear about that because there are all kinds of meditation out there. Now, we mentioned last week the analogy of the cup of tea with the tea bag where the cup of tea is us, our minds, and the tea bag is the Bible intake. And he talked about how you hear the word of God, you read the word of God, that's like dumping the tea bag in. But studying, memorizing, that's, that's another dunk, that's plunging, swirling it around. Well, he, he suggests that um, meditating is letting that tea bag just sit in there and brew. He says where it's completely immersed and it's just soaking up everything until you've extracted everything you can. All right, here's our next point, number eight. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. According to Joshua, we want that Bible brewing to be a continual and ongoing thing, all right? Now, the author points out that often hearing and reading the Bible by themselves isn't usually sufficient for remembering. He says they're invaluable and they're replaceable, but we really need the studying, the memorizing, and the meditating for things to be complete, okay? So he's given us some practical examples on that. Number nine, oh no, let me give you number nine first. Number nine is the reading is the exposure to scripture. Meditation is the absorption of scripture. Now the author recommends that in addition to reading, that you spend some serious, intentional time on biblical meditation as a part of your reading time and your quiet time and your prayer time. And he gives some advice about that. All right, here's the first point, A. He says, incorporate a time of meditation during your daily Bible reading time. Okay, in other words, make it a part of your Bible reading time every morning. Now, you might be thinking, you know, how do I have time for this? This is just yet another thing that I have to do. Okay, well, uh, he says, he feels that this discipline is so severely lacking among believers, and it's too beneficial not to do. So he recommends that if you feel like you don't have time to meditate, he says, read less 
and spend time meditating. Okay, in other words, he's saying that if you only read for 20 minutes, he suggests read for 10, meditate for 10. All right, he's very big on this. All right, B, here's our next point. Read less if necessary in order to meditate more. Okay? Now, how do we get started? What are we to do? Well, he says, you start by reading. You're going to go like you would do every morning. You get up, you've got your passage to read. And as you're reading, you're going to look for a passage that impressed you. Maybe it caught your attention. Maybe you found it convicting. Maybe it was comforting. But you're going to meditate on that. All right, so here's our next point, C. Read big, meditate small. Okay, you may read several chapters, but you're going to meditate on one verse or one passage, one line. Okay, you're going to zoom in on that. Now, ways to meditate. Your, your homework, the book, was filled with wonderful practical ways to go about this. Now, I downloaded, I, several of you didn't get copies of this, but I downloaded um, a sheet that I, that I got off his website of ways for you to meditate. And um, I'm going to, I owe them to use these two tables. We'll get you those. Uh, but he's got some very practical ideas. I would even suggest that maybe you spend some time during your small group practicing them. See how they work. See if you can kind of get a, a hang of how you do it. Um, you might want to, the reason I printed them off is I thought you might want to keep them in your Bibles, keep it next to your prayer, wherever you have your devotions in the morning. Um, okay, here's the next point. D. The outcome of meditation should be application. Okay, Dr. Whitney says, like chewing without swallowing, so meditation is incomplete without some type of application. All right, now as you're going through this verse by verse, you're going to be asking, okay, is there a command here for me to obey? Is there something that I need to do? Is there some type of instruction? Okay, remember the goal is not to get good at meditating. The goal is godliness. Meditating is the exercise. Godliness is the goal. Now, here's what I thought we would do. I, I want to give you an, an example of what this might look like. And if you have the sheet, there's all different ways you can do this. This is not the only way, but I thought I would walk you through how this might typically work, could work. So here's what I did. I thought I looked at the lesson that we did. I read big. Now I want to meditate small. So I picked a verse to meditate on. And uh, I was to meditate small. I was between a few verses, but I was told I'm going to meditate small. So I picked the uh, smaller of the verses. I decided I'm going to meditate on Joshua 1.9. Now, um, here's what I did. I, I made a copy. If you turn your verses over on the back, you should have a copy that looks something like this. Um, what I thought I would do, this is how I scribbled. This is what I worked through, and I thought I would make you a copy of it so you can kind of see my thought process, how this all went down, okay? So I started with a blank piece of notebook paper and a pencil, all right? Now I sat myself down, and the first thing I did was I wrote out word for word the first line of the verse, have I not commanded you? And I wrote that down on my paper, and um, because I'm a preceptor, and I, uh, and, and when it comes to studying, a lot of that kicked in. And so I found that this meditating time was really kind of some Bible study time for me. But one of the things that I, I know to do is to ask the question, who? Who is this about? Who is the who in this passage? So you can see, I wrote the word God next to the 
the word I, and then I wrote the word Joshua next to the word you. So I'm thinking, okay, God is commanding Joshua. And then I noticed that word commanded. And I put a box around that because it struck me that that's a, that's a strong word. That's an intense word. This is God commanding Joshua. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't um, a recommendation. This is, this is strong. This is God commanding Joshua. I thought, okay. So then from there, I decided to put I'm writing the rest of the verse. I know, I'm knowing now these are commands. So I'm writing, be bold. I wrote that down. And I wrote, and courageous. And then the next line said, do not tremble or be dismayed. I decided to put that in a, in a different um, column. Now I'm kind of making lists. So I wrote, be bold and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. I'm looking at those words now because now I'm thinking these are commands. Bold, courageous, tremble, dismayed. I decided, I circled those. I thought, okay, those are, those are words I need to know. So I, I circled those. And then I got thinking, I wonder what they mean. I wonder what they mean in, in, from Hebrew. What did they mean? Now I have the Logos Bible app on my computer. So with the click of a real quick, I was able to pull up this verse and see immediately what those words meant. So the next thing I did was I scribbled next to the words, what they meant. Bold, strong, powerful, mighty, firm. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, Joshua's being told, he's being told to be strong and powerful and mighty and firm, and he's not to tremble or shake or fear or any of those things. Okay, now I'm thinking, okay, now why? Why is he not to do that? So then I wrote the rest of the verse. I wrote, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to make a list of the things that this verse is telling me to do. And you can see I wrote this list on the bottom of my paper. The things that I'm to do or to be. I'm to be bold, courageous, determined, alert. I wrote those things down. And then I thought, well, I wonder what would be the opposites of those. And so I made a list of the opposites. Weak, afraid, anxious, dismayed. And then I thought, well, why would those things be inappropriate? And you can see I, I, I drew an arrow. They're inappropriate because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, so now I've got a page full of scribbles and lists. And I'm looking at this and I'm knowing, I'm thinking, okay, I need to think about application. And so I'm looking at this passage and I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at my scribbles and I'm thinking, okay, I am to be bold and courageous. I am not to tremble or be dismayed. Am I obeying this? Am I doing this? Am I being bold and courageous? Am I not trembling or being dismayed? And listen, I didn't even finish the sentence in my mind before I knew the answer. No. No, I'm not obeying this. I'm fearful. I'm very fearful. I sat there and thought, Lord, I, 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 I watch the news and I think about the future and I, I'm fearful. I hear the sad news of, of Justice Scalia passing. And I got little grandbabies and I wonder, what will the world be like when they're grown up? I wonder, is it safe to travel? I watch the news and I think about what this latest health scare is. I wonder, Lord, should I be, should I be hoarding food and water? Should I be stockpiling ammunition? 
I, I, I'm filled with fear. I'm very anxious. And I look at my paper and I say, I'm not obeying this. And then do you know what? My mind was drawn to the word commanded that caught my eye at the beginning that I had circled and, and boxed. And I thought, this is a command. This is, this is God, this is a strong, intense word, and it's helping me to understand the tone of the verse. God is commanding me, Heidi, be bold and courageous. Do not tremble. Do not be dismayed. You see, God is not taking my little hand and saying, oh, honey, it's going to be okay. No, no, no. This is a command. It was as if he was taking me by the shoulders and looking me in the eye and saying, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not tremble or be dismayed because you have me. You have my presence. And so you are to be bold and courageous and not tremble and not be dismayed. And I sat there and went, wow. Now here's the thing. That took me five minutes. Five minutes. I just sat down, blank piece of paper, word of God, wrote it out, scribbled some stuff, thought through some things, jotted a few lists. I just had some intentional time of just thinking about the word of God. And you know what? I am not going to forget this quickly. In fact, I've already had times where I've watched something or heard something, and this has come back to remind me, do not tremble. Do not be afraid. You see, the whole thing, it wasn't just a way for me to remember the word of God. It was a way for me to, to sense the spirit of God help me understand it. It was a way to help the spirit of God breathe life into it. You see, the word of God is living. And when you take the time to slow down and chew on the word of God and think it through and to be intentional about it, you don't just remember it better. You get a chance to see the spirit of God come alongside and breathe life into the word of God. And that'll rock your world. Here's our last point. Biblical meditation must always involve two parties, the Christian and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. We praise you that your commands are for our good. We praise you that you that you tell us to meditate and think on you, and it's for our good. Father, help us to do that. Help us to take these wandering, worry minds and just direct them on the beauty of you, on the goodness of you, and the glory of you. Help us to be women that are faithful to do that. And we ask this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.